0: Have you ever wished that you could have a second chance at something? Maybe a job interview and you come out and you say, I just wish I could do that again. It would be so nice. I know exactly what I would do differently. Or maybe you take a test. And after taking the test, immediately the answers seem to be flowing through your mind, but they weren't when you started, you know. Maybe a conversation or a confrontation that you had and you wish you could just rewind time and say things maybe just a little bit differently, you know. Maybe it's a career choice or a career move, something that has a little bit of a greater impact on things and costs maybe a little bit more. Maybe the start or the finish of a relationship and you wish you could just go back and you could do it again. And I think we've all at times wished that there was do-overs in life that we could just do things again, hit the reset button, but we can't. But I've often thought, what if every one of us got one? What if when you were born into the world, you got one redo? You could just, you know, undo something. We'd probably spend it like in our elementary school years, right? We would make a fool of ourselves, like, you know, or some way, and we'd probably spend it. But but, but no, 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 like something in your adult life that you could go back and do it over, what would you spend it? on, what would you have used it on? Now, I want to sow that emotion into your heart right now at the onset, that thought, that feeling of, I wish I could do some things again, and we'll wrap back around to it in a little while. As we step forward to get into our text and our scriptures this morning, I just want to um, throw this out there as well. In Ezekiel chapter 33, the prophet Ezekiel is told by God that he is, that he was called to be a watchman. And his job as a watchman was to hear from God and see what was going on and then to tell the people that he was ministering to so that they could be prepared and warned for what would be. And that was his mission, his job as a watchman. And God told him, he gave him specifically the word. He said that when I give you a word of warning and you give it to my people, The ball's in their court, what they do with it. If they heed it and it turns out to be something, then they've done well. They've delivered themselves. If they disregard, if they scoff at you and say, ah, you're out of your mind and they do nothing with it and the sword comes, then their blood is on their own head. But if you don't tell them and the sword comes and they fall under it, then God told Ezekiel, then I'm going to hold their blood responsible at your hand because you knew and you didn't say anything. And so it's with the spirit of a watchman that I speak to you tonight. Not because, you know, necessarily the things that I'm saying to you have uh, serious immediate impact. They might. I hope they do. But nevertheless, I see some validity in the things that I'm going to share. And so as a watchman, I pass it on to you. Now, I'll confess this as well. Is that when I first heard some of the things that I'm going to share with you tonight, I said, that's just crazy. That's absurd. And as I was encouraged, hey, share this. I thought to myself, share. It'll be the last time I share if I share some of this. But then I thought about it for a little while. I saw some of it for myself. And two things happened. First of all, I started to say, hey, you know, there might be something to this. That was number one. But number two, it did something within my heart that I really, really liked. And I'm hoping that if nothing else, that same work that God did in my heart because of the things I'm going to share with you tonight, if He does those things in your heart as well, then mission accomplished. It was worth every minute that we spent tonight in in doing these things. So thus, as a watchman, I pass this on to you. Our scripture, the first one I've asked you to turn there, is Genesis chapter 1. And our verse is verse 14. It's the creation story in context. It's when God created the world. And in this verse, it says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. The word for lights that you see there in verse 14, it's speaking of the sun, the moon, and the stars. The word signs that you see a little bit further on in the verse, the word in the Hebrew means to come. In other words, to tell of things to come. And so God is telling us right here that he created the lights in the sky, that is the sun, the moon, and the stars. And part of its intent and purpose in it was not to just give us something to gaze at in the nighttime sky, but he said, I've set those things there for signs. Part of my purpose is to share with you things that are to come. And thus, the stars that we see are God's creation, and he tells us that he speaks through them. Psalm chapter 147, verses 4 and 5 says that he counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. He says, I know them. I've created them. I've named them. I've set them. And my understanding goes beyond yours. In Psalm chapter 19, another verse that I've had you to turn to. In verse 1, the psalmist declares this. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. The psalmist here, speaking by the Spirit of God, tells you and I that God is speaking to us through the works of the firmament, the stars, the things that he has placed in heaven. He tells us that there's a language that's being spoken, that it's an incessant, universal, and inaudible message that God is continually blaring at us through what he's placed in the stars. The second half of the psalm elaborates somewhat on what that message is. And you read it and you find out what God is saying is that my word is infallible. That it's incessant, that it's universal, it's faithful, and that it's trustworthy. And here's why. Because when you look at the stars and you see them in their course, you realize that they're constant. They're unchanging. They're faithful. They're reliable. They're universal. They never stop. And the psalmist compares that to the very Word of God, that you can measure your life, you can map things out by it. It's, cons- it's constant. It's universal. And thus, the heavens are declaring, they're speaking to us. In the book of Job, chapter 9, verse 9, I want to point this out to you. I didn't have you turn there, but you'll see the verse on the screen, and you can remember that it's nine nine. Uh, it says this. It says that he, speaking of God, it says that he made the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades... And the chambers of the south, he does great things past finding out, yes, wonders without number. Now, why do I share that verse with you is to point this out. Is that God claims ownership of not just the stars, which he calls by name, but also the constellations that we kind of think, well, that's just something that somebody drew as they were staring out at the nighttime sky. The book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It was written prior to even the writing of the first five books of Moses of Genesis. What we see here is that the Spirit of God is claiming ownership to not just the stars, but even those constellations by the same names that we call them today. It's further authenticated in chapter 38. And I've had you turn there, Job chapter 38. And this isn't Job speaking for the Lord, but this is God speaking himself. It's that portion of the book of Job where God intervenes and he speaks to Job. And he says, Job, you sit still a while and let me talk to you. In verse 1 of chapter 38, it says, and God spoke. So this is God's mouth, his words speaking that we're reading right here in verse 31 uh, of chapter 38. God says this to Job. He says, can you bind the cluster of Pleiades, one of the constellations, or loose the belt of Orion?" Can you bring out Maseroth in its season? You say, "Well, that's a big word. If you want to circle it, the Hebrew word Maseroth is what we translate in our language, the Zodiac. That's what the word Maseroth means. It's the Zodiac, what we consider. He says, can you bring out the Zodiac in its season or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Another set of constellations. Do you know the ordinance is of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? And here's why I read you that verse. Because what God is saying, he's claiming ownership over the constellations and over the zodiac. The zodiac would be the 12 signs that the sun passes through by appearance as we view throughout the course of the year. That's what the zodiac is. And God says, I own that. I've created it and it's part of my structure and I bring it forth in its season and I'm the one that understands what it's about and how it works. Now, let me pause right here in our movement of Scripture because I know that when I say that, something happens inside of you. It's like, we're not going there, are we? Listen, besides Scripture, there are four things that God has left as witnesses for Himself and for His existence in the world. Number one is Geology geology points us to the fact that there is a creator, someone who made the world that we live in, and that he's the one who's behind all of that. And it points, geology does, to the fact that there's a creator. But geology, which is a witness for God, has been hijacked by Satan. And it's been turned into an evidence not for the creation of God, but for what scientists will call evolution. And so now it brings a line of doubt within our hearts, our minds. We say, well, wait a minute. Is that evidence for God or is that evidence for evolution? And there's confusion. It's been hijacked. That witness that God has left for his existence is now shrouded in confusion within our minds. The second thing, number two, is history. God shows his work in nations and lives and how he has formed and fashioned world powers and those things are a testament to himself. But history has been hijacked by Satan and it's been called humanism. That no longer is it God that rises up and brings down nations, God that raises up and brings down men, but now it's just the work of the intuitiveness of man. It's humanism. Number three, conscience. It's that tug and pull that you feel within your heart when God's trying to get attention and tell you that there's something that's not right within your life. It's a witness, the Bible tells us, of God's spirit knocking and saying that you've got to be saved, that there's something that's going on within your life. But again, that witness of conscience that God designed for each one of us, it's been hijacked. It's been hijacked by psychology. Now, it's not that you need to get right with God and thus there's something wrong within your soul causing you to seek after God. But now you're a schizo-bipolar, socio-narcissistic, obsessive-compulsive psychopath. And we're going to put you on medication because you don't have a conscience problem as God's tugging your life. But rather, you have a chemical imbalance. And so you need to go on medication to address your chemical imbalance. Conscience hijacked by psychology. And then finally, number four, witness of God for himself, aside from his word, is astronomy. That is God's witness in the heavens. Now that has also been hijacked. It's been hijacked by astrology. There's a difference. Astronomy is the stars and what they are, the way God created them. Astrology is taking a mystical satanic, psychic view of those things in seeking to attach truth to our lives based on things that we feel or think as we see what's going on as those things happen. It's superstition. And so what happens is when I say to you, Maseroth, Zodiac, when I say God speaks through signs and stars, immediately your red flag goes up and you say, wait a minute. Are we talking astronomy or astrology? Are we talking about God's truth or are we talking about some mystical form of psychic communication. What is the difference? What's the deal? What's going on here? Well, listen, we shouldn't dismiss anything that has the flavor of something that's been hijacked by Satan. God says clearly in his word that he set these things as signs for us to observe and see so that we would understand things to come. So for us to just dismiss it is to miss out on what God might want to say, what God might want to show. Now, you say, okay, New Testament. We've looked at Old Testament things. What does the New Testament have to say? Next scripture is Luke chapter 21, verse 25. Luke 21, 25, Jesus speaking. The question that was asked, Lord, what's the sign of your coming? When will be the end of the age? The answer that Jesus gives, it's throughout the chapter, but we pick up in verse 25 and listen to what Jesus says. He says that there will be signs in the Son in the moon and in the stars. And on the earth, the stress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, he says, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Now, we've spent much time in the past, and I'm sure on your own you do a lot, looking at the distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, the earthquakes, the geological signs. But the hang-up I have and have always had is what Jesus said right at the beginning of that passage. He said there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. Now, I can believe that because it's in my Bible and Jesus said it. My problem and my hang-up is this. I don't know what I'm looking for. See, because unless God all of a sudden rearranged all those stars and spelled the words, He is coming, I would dismiss it as just being natural phenomenon. I mean, if a hundred comets flew through the atmosphere tonight, I'm sure that you could YouTube tomorrow morning, comets in the atmosphere, and you would see 50,000 people that say, Jesus is coming, there's comets in the atmosphere. My problem is, attach it to scripture. If you can't attach it to scripture, it could just be natural phenomenon. So when I see Jesus say there'll be signs in the stars, I know that one day on the other side of earth, when I'm in heaven, and I say, Jesus, what do you mean by that? And he says, oh, it was the hundred comets. I'll go, oh, okay, I get it now. But But it'll be on the other side, because I don't know what I'm looking for on this side. And so I skip that one. And I go, okay, distress of nations with perplexity, I can see that. Earthquakes, the sea and the waves roaring, I get that, I understand it. So what in the world are we looking for? If he says the stars are made for signs, and he says there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and then the stars, then what is it that I'm looking for? Is there any place in scripture I can go and see what he's saying, talking about, and then I have something to attach what I might see to scripturally? The answer is yes. And so you'll turn to Revelation chapter 12. The fifth scripture in our succession of scriptures. Now, let me give you some background here so you don't get lost because I know when I say the book of Revelation, you go, oh, you know, the book of Revelation, you know. Listen, right now, you and I, as we sit here, we are in a biblical period of time that is called the church age. That's uh, where we're at right now in, in this thing. Now, the church age, which is the period of time where between the cross And the rapture, that's another prophecy word, that's called the church age. That's where we're at right now. And everyone who comes to Christ, who's born again and blood-bought during this span of time that we're in right now, is considered to be a part of the church. That age, that span of time, does not go on indefinitely. It will end. And it ends at an event that's called the rapture. And I'm sure that most of you have at least heard of that and know what it is, even if you don't like hearing that word. You know you know probably what the rapture is. Well, the rapture is what ends uh, the church age at that point. Now, immediately following the rapture, there's a new period of time that begins. And that's known as the tribulation. What that is, in a nutshell, is a seven-year period of time where God pours out judgment, which right now he is withholding because we're in the age of grace, the church age. Judgment's been poured out on the cross. He's withholding judgment, but judgment is coming for those that do not repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. See, our sin has been judged on the cross. That's the gift of grace that we received. But the judgment of those that refuse and reject, that judgment is being stored up and it will be eventually poured out concentrated 2,000 years in fact 6,000 years of man's sin will be concentrated and judged corrected in a seven-year period of time and you can read about what that's going to be like in revelation chapters 6 through 19 and many people don't like to read that portion of scripture because of just exactly how bad it is in fact jesus said it would be so bad that there's no time ever like it before Now, that seven-year period of time known as the tribulation is divided into two halves. 1260 days on the front side, three and a half years by a lunar spectrum, 360 days per year. So 1260 days on the front side and 1260 days on the back side. So it's three and a half and three and a half making a total of seven years that make up the period of time called the tribulation. Now, the events that take place in Revelation 12, which is where I've had you turn, these fall, this chapter falls at the exact midpoint of the tribulation. So, 1260 days have passed at this point, and there are 1260 days yet to come when we have the events that are in this chapter. So, let's read just, uh, I want to read the first six verses of this chapter And then we'll talk about it. Verse 1, it says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars, or a crown of 12 stars, or a diadem. It says, Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, And seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there for 1,260 days. Now, I don't have time tonight to dig deep into the symbolism of what's being communicated here. But let me sum it up in a nutshell like this. That what we have in this little six-verse section is an abbreviated version of the entire redemptive history of God. And that works like this. The woman is a symbol, a picture of the nation of Israel. I'm not making that up. You can turn to, don't do it now. You just write it down and remember it. Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 and 10. Make it clear that the woman who's clothed with the sun, the stars on her head, that's a symbolic picture of Israel. The child who will rule all nations that is birthed from her is a picture of Jesus, the Messiah, who came through Israel and into the world. The dragon, very clearly, in fact, if you look at verse 9 of chapter 12, it tells us that the dragon is that old serpent, Satan, the devil. Bible's the best commentary on the Bible that there is. And so the dragon is Satan. The ascension of the child is symbolic of the ascension of Christ. Mission accomplished. He came, he lived, he died, he rose, he ascended. It's what he came to do, it's what he did. And thus, the child was caught up to God, mission accomplished, not accomplished by the dragon. And then the woman who's left behind will ultimately flee to a place prepared for the second half of the tribulation period. So between five and six, if you look down at your Bible again, if you look at that little air gap, the white paper in between verse five and verse six, there in your Bibles, the whole church age takes place between verse five and verse six, between the ascension of Christ and... The woman fleeing, you give the whole church age and the first half of the tribulation, the 1260 days that are on the front side. And we know that because at the end of the verse, it says that she will be in the wilderness for 1260 days. And when you flip over with your eyes, uh, same chapter to verse... 13, it says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman, that's Israel, who gave birth to the male child. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, to her place where she is nourished for a time, that's one year, and times, that's two years, and half a time, that's six months, from the presence of the serpent. And so we understand the context and the timing of what's being communicated here. Israel, who brought forth Jesus, is going to realize that Antichrist, the one world ruler, the man of peace to earth, but the man of sin from God's perspective, that he is not their savior, they're going to wake up, realize it, be persecuted, and flee to a place for three and a half years, the final three and a half years of the tribulation. We understand that. Now, we look at that and we take the symbolic look, but forget about that for a minute And let's take a literal look again at what is being told to us. Plain as day, right there on the page of scripture. He says, right there in verse 1, he saw a sign in heaven. A sign in the heavens. What was it? He says, a woman. That she was clothed in the sun. That she had the moon at her feet. That she had a crown of 12 stars upon, upon her head. It says that she was laboring to give birth to a child who would be a king. Now, that's a very, very specific set of details that describe this woman that was a sign in the heavens, isn't it? So is there anything in the heavens that might reflect or demonstrate exactly what's been showed or, or spoken of there? That's what I want to show you next for this next couple minutes. So you guys can just dim the lights for a minute and put your attention on the screen. And I want to show you something. Dim the lights I mean, shut them all off. Turn off your cell phone lights. I mean, make it dark in here. Everything, you know. Okay, what I'm opening right now, this is a, uh, a computer program that's called Stellarium. It's an online planetarium. This is kind of cool. I'm not nervous at all anymore. I can't see any of you. <laughs> and, and, and this is not a Christian thing. This is a scientific thing that's been put out there. And what you're looking at right now is you are looking at the southern sky in real time. From Jerusalem. You could see there at the bottom of the screen, if your eyes are good, you could see that we're standing in Jerusalem. That's irrelevant. We could be in Paris, we could be uh anywhere we want, because we can navigate and go where we want to in the sky, but I said it to Jerusalem because that's kind of important for us, you know. Anyways, so you're looking at what I'm gonna do right now is I'm going to remove the atmosphere so that the stars are are very clear, and then I'm gonna remove the ground. And you see that? Now, this little white hazy line that my arrow's tracing across, that's, that would be the ground if the earth was there. And now I'm going to do this. And this is the part that I hope you can see real clearly, is I'm going to turn the constellation lines on. So, Can you see that? Can you see those blue lines? If you need to, you can move real close. If you want to get uh, out of your seat, I'm going to shut off this light just to help a little bit more. Does that help? I can't see. You're going to hear a big crash in about 30 seconds as I step off this platform and die. Okay, so now you see... Um, can you see that? Anybody not see that? Raise your hands if you can't see that. <laughs> Everybody can see it. It's kind of important. If you can't see it, I don't want you to get lost in this thing. I'm going to turn on the constellation labels, okay, so you can see what they're called. And for a moment, I'm going to turn on the artwork, and I know you'll be able to see that. Okay, that's kind of cool, right? Now, you can download this program. It's absolutely free. Just type in Stellarium in a Google search, and it'll come up, and you can... Uh, Um, you can see all this. Now, what I'm going to do is find the woman who is Virgo. She is one of the Mazaroth or the constellations that fall into the zodiac, a very important one, symbolically representing the same woman that we're talking about all throughout the history of God. That's true in every culture, every uh, society or place where constellations are observed. It goes back to ancient Egypt, ancient Babylon, the Mayas, the Aztecs, or anyone else that ever did any work with constellations. This was the woman that was seen in the sky, and the lion uh, that's right there with her. Now, everybody can see that okay? give me a big yes. yes. Okay, good. I, I believe you. Okay, I'm going to turn off the artwork for a minute because I want you to just see the constellation because I, I don't know if you know this, but when you look outside, you're not going to see that artwork. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's disappointing. But what you see is the woman here, and you see Leo the lion right there on your right uh, and up just a little bit. You see the moon in there. That's real time. But All of these stars in the moon, the sun, the planets, in their circuit and their cycles, they move very consistently. It's like clockwork. In fact, our clocks are measured by atomic or, you know, um, celestial bodies in the way that they move because they're so precise in their movements and in their measurements. So, with that being said, we should be able to type in any date in history or future, and we can see exactly where stars, planets, sun, and moon will be in those times and on those days. If we start, we could start anywhere we want. We could start at the year uh, zero. We'll start at two. It's just easier right now because I can't see. And we could just move. I'm just going to move by year, and I'm going to kind of set this in motion. You see that? Whoa, we're going fast. Like year by. Please turn that off. Thank you. We're going year by year by year by year. You see that? And and we're, you know, we're just flying through years. We're already at the year 200, 300. You get the idea, you know? Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come to uh, a date that is not too far off from where we are right now. I'm going to go to 2017. Um, I'm going to go to September because in September... Oh, one more thing I have to do is I need to set this telescope in a stationary location so that things don't keep moving. We're going to go to September... Um, and then we're going to go, because in uh, September, um, the sun is always in Virgo in September. That's, in fact, I learned something. I learned that, that you, know, you know how you have a sign? We don't pay much attention to that. The reason why your sign is your sign is because that's the period of the year that the sun is in that constellation. If you're born during that time, then that's considered your sign. Interesting, right? Didn't know that. Don't really care, but now I know that. Okay, now here we are. We're at September 23rd, 2017. When we come to September 23rd, 2017, we we see something extremely interesting. Just backing off to a point earlier in the same day. What do you see? You see a woman. She's clothed in the sun. She has the moon at her feet. And she has a crown of 12 stars upon her head. I'm going to zoom in here to Leo for a second. And I want you to notice this because there are only nine stars in Leo. There's one, two, three four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. But on this particular occasion, there are also three planets in Leo, Venus, Mars, and Mercury. And it makes a crown over the head of the woman of 12 stars. I'll turn the artwork on just for a second so you can kind of see where the woman is, how she's clothed in the sun. In fact, if I put the Earth's atmosphere back in, you can get an idea of what that looks like. It's kind of cool. Woman clothed in the sun, moon at her feet, diadem, crown of 12 stars in her hand. You say, that's pretty cool, but in the story, she's giving birth. What's the deal with that? Notice this. I don't know if you can see this, but right here in the birthing canal, there's a planet. It's Jupiter. Jupiter is considered the king planet because it's the largest planet in, in our entire solar system. You say, well, that's kind of neat. That's cute. I'm glad you brought us here to show us this. I want to show you something else. And this is the part where I start to say, oh, wow, this is kind of crazy. I want to back off one year. We're going to go to 2016, And if you look here, you can see right next to the sun, you'll see Jupiter. That's where it would be one year previously. See that? And I'm going to put it in motion, and I want you to watch Jupiter and watch what it does over the course of a year. Can everybody see Jupiter okay? Watch this. We come to our day, September 23rd. Did you see what Jupiter did? It made a retrograde orbital motion right through the womb of Virgo. Now, if you can't see the lines, that might not have been clear to you, but if you can see the lines, it's clear as day where Jupiter made its loop. You say, okay, cute, show me more. Okay, I'm glad you asked. Let's back off to 12, uh, one. we We'll go to December 1st of 2016, and that is the point where uh, Jupiter is completely past the plane of the line that crosses the two stars, putting it in the, the, the virgin. And we're going to move it forward uh, nine months. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine months, and then six days, which is fair enough as a gestational period. She crosses the line, leaving the womb. Jupiter is in the womb of the woman for nine months, a normal period of giving birth, Okay. So now you see the king planet, and then two weeks later we come to our day, which is September 23rd, 2017, where the woman is clothed with the sun, the moon at her feet, the crown of 12 stars over her head. Now let me pause and say this here, is that there is no other time in a 4,000-year span of 0 to 4,000, and you could go further if you want, but I didn't have time. No other period in 4,000 years where that happens, except for September 23rd of the year 2017, where you get that succession right there. You say, okay, wait, there was more. It said that there was also another thing. There was a serpent, a dragon, crowned with seven diadems that was ready to devour the child as soon as it was born. Let me turn on the artwork just to uh, make it faster. But if you look just to the left of Virgo, you'll see serpents. You see that? In fact, the serpent and the dragon, those words are used interchangeably throughout Revelation chapter 12. Sometimes he's called the dragon, sometimes he's called the serpent. And you'll also notice that just above the serpent's head, you'll see that there is a crown, Corona Borealis, of seven stars. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven stars. Okay? Now, when I heard this, I said, oh, yeah, okay, whatever, you know you're weird, you know, or whatever, you know, like you're thinking of me right now and you'll probably go home and be like, is Nick okay? You know, it's, he's a Bible guy. Why are we looking at stars in Bible study, you know? Found it quite interesting. You could turn the lights back on. I'll leave this. Uh, I'm going to take the, the woman down because she's not wearing the best clothes for church, you know. <laughs> Why is this worth a watchman's word? Why would I bring this up and, gosh, it's bright in here. <laughs> Here's why, a couple of reasons, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Five reasons as we start to land the plane here a little bit. First of all, this scene that we see painted in Scripture, Revelation 12, happens exactly halfway into the tribulation period on earth. If we plug that into the date of September 23rd, 2017, and we subtract 1,260 days, which is the front half of the tribulation, where does that bring us? Saturday. (laughs) You think I'm joking, don't you? It brings us to April 12th, 2014. That's interesting, okay? That piqued my interest. I know no one knows the day or the hour. You don't have to write letters and say that. I know that. That went through my mind a thousand times. We don't know the day or the hour. You know, he's not going to tell us the day. He doesn't do, you know, but I'm going, okay, count 12 stars, it's there, it's in the scene. I've never, okay. And I'm going, okay, okay, breathe, breathe a little bit. You know, what's going on here? What's the story? What, what's going on in this? Here's the meaning of that. If the, this is a sign that God placed in the heavens in order to tell us of things to come, and we observe it and it is what we're maybe seeing that maybe it could be, then, well, that's pretty important for you and me because we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, that God is going to come for his church prior to the beginning of the tribulation, that it will be like a thief in the night and that we won't see it coming, much like you and I are feeling right now. As we think and consider, yes, things are bad, but things could get a whole lot worse. And is this really the time? But listen, that's not enough for me to take a whole Wednesday night and just share that with you. It's just not enough. I I can't do that. I mean, I'd say, let's see what happens on April 12th. And maybe if something happens, well, you know, we're still here. Then maybe, you know, we could talk about it in the future. But is there anything else that we can look at? Well, it, it also just so happens that this Saturday is the last Sabbath before... The tetrad. Perhaps you've heard of it. The four blood moons. Um, I can't explain that as well as um, uh, as, as well as, as someone else. So I'm going to put on a three-minute video, and I just want you to watch this and um, and see for yourself in just three minutes, and just so you can understand what this whole blood moon thing is all about. Because again, I'm not a moon guy, so I don't know much about it. But I want you to just see this clip right here. <music>
1: Hello and welcome to another segment of The Spirit of Debate. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel. Does God use the motion of the planets to communicate with us, to announce things to come? Well, many people believe that an astronomical occurrence called four blood moons is a message from God. A blood moon is a full lunar eclipse, and four of them in a row is called a tetrad. When they've occurred on the Jewish High Holy Days, it's coincided with major historical events, like the Six-Day War in 1967. Four blood moons on the Jewish High Holy Days has happened only three times in the last 500 years. The next time it occurs is starting next spring on the Jewish Passover. Pastor Hagee has written a book called Four Blood Moons, Something is About to Change, and he joins me now. This is fascinating because I get a lot of books about end times prophecies and what's the Bible trying to say and this one really fascinated me because it charts history of right. astronomical occurrences the Jewish High Holy Days of Passover and the Feast of the Tabernacles and these occurrences, and I want to go over just a couple of the things that have happened because it's only happened in three times.
2: Three times in over 500 years. In 500 years. And this is confirmed by NASA. This is not something that a religious think tank put together. This is something that you can check on the internet. This is what NASA says has happened, and this is what they say is going to happen.
1: This is, um, and we have a full screen up, and the, and that's exactly what I did when I saw your book because I wanted to verify that these things had happened, and sure enough, it was. That's why I wanted to have you on. Four blood moons um, have, have occurred: 1493, uh, 94, fall of Spain, the Jews expelled um, from them, and Columbus discovers America. What the Bible calls said, the "infant nation." Right. N- 1949 to 1950 it follows Israel being declared a nation, state, That's, and then a, a nation-state, and then 1967, 68, the Six-Day War. That's those are the last three times yes. that a four blood moons have occurred. Right. And so the next time it occurs actually is starting next spring.
2: Starts April the fifteenth, two thousand fourteen. Next spring, and it happens on Passover. The second blood moon next year will be October the eighth, on the Feast of Tabernacles. And then in two thousand fifteen, it will happen again on Passover. And then it will happen the last time September the fifteenth, and that will be on the Feast of Tabernacles. The the irony of what it takes to get the sun, the earth, and the moon in a perfect alignment, to have a blood moon, and then for those blood moons to be on this exact date is something that just is uh, beyond coincidental. Uh, The Bible very clearly says, Joel, the second chapter, says the day of the Lord will be as when the sun refuses to shine The significant thing is that between these four blood moons will be a total solar eclipse and the moon will be turned to blood. That is exactly repeated in Acts, the second chapter. It is repeated by Jesus Christ in the book of Luke, the 21st chapter, when he said, you will see the sun, signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And when you see these signs, lift up your head, your redemption draweth nigh.
0: Amazing. There will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. And then on earth, the of nations with perplexity. See, I still don't quite understand the whole blood moon thing, but I see what he's saying. So that's in itself, it's cool, but it's not enough to get me to take a Wednesday night and, and just share with you the, these things. But it also just so happens, number three reason why I shared this with you, it just so happens that this is Palm Sunday weekend. What's Palm Sunday weekend? What's the significance of that? Well, it's the time when the Jews officially rejected Jesus as their Savior in his first coming. It just so happened to be the day that was prophesied by Daniel that it was announced that Jesus would present himself as the Messiah. And he rebuked them for not being ready on that very day. And that just so happens To be this Saturday, or this Sunday, this weekend, as the anniversary of that. But that's not enough either for me to do it. There's There's another reason. And here's reason number four. And I just have five reasons. But number four is this the reason is because of what the Bible says will happen right after the tribulation begins on earth. The Bible gives us those details. And it tells us three things that will happen almost immediately at the beginning of the tribulation. Number one is World War. Number two is economic collapse. And number three is one quarter of the earth's population will die in various different ways. And that's going to happen very quickly at the start of the tribulation. That's the Bible. That's not YouTube or John Hagee. Oh, by the way, I don't endorse necessarily John Hagee or Fox News. I just thought that clip explains things better than I can. You know? but, but that's what's going to happen immediately as the tribulation begins. World war, economic collapse, and uh, a quarter of the world's population is going to die uh, right away in, in that thing. That's, that's what's going to happen when the tribulation begins. Now, I want to read you a passage from Isaiah chapter 30, um, verse 8, and then on just a little bit from there. Listen to what Isaiah says, or God says through Isaiah. He says, now go, and he says, write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll that it may be for a time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people. Lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, that's the prophets, do not see. (laughs) And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits or lies. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path and cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. In other words, he's saying, would you please stop telling us things like this? Stop scaring us, Isaiah. Stop telling us that judgment is going to come or that things are going to change. We don't want to hear it. Just teach the good things. Can we go through Psalms? You know, can we teach Ephesians? Do we have to talk about that? Verse 12. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perversity and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. Now, pause right there for a minute. He says that the calamity that's going to come upon you is going to come in this manner. It's going to be like a bulge or a herniation in a retaining wall. Let me show you uh, what that looks like. Again, excuse my lack of smooth um, operation of uh, of the computer here, but that's a bulging wall. You see that? It wasn't properly supported. The rain, the erosion uh, is pushing away the, uh, uh, the brick and it's starting to bulge. There's an erosion that's happening there. But over time, as that bulge continues to move because of the weight that's building up behind it, this is what's going to happen to it. The wall's going to give way and there's going to be a crashing down of what's seeking to be retained. Now, in this one, you say, wow, that's really cool, but it's, you know, it doesn't really have much consequence. Look at this one. That one does. Cars parked there. Listen, here's the idea of what Isaiah is telling us. He's saying that the trouble that's coming, the tribulation that God is going to bring, it's going to be like a bulging in the wall. For a long time, you're going to see it coming. You're going to say, oh my goodness, there's a problem there. Look, there's instability in the geopolitical structure of things. There's distress of nations with perplexity. There's political dissolution. There's no way to solve these problems that that we're having in the world. We consider the economy, the second thing that will happen, it will crash. And we say, how can this work? How can you continually just print money and think that you can kind of borrow your way out of debt? And at the same time, people are losing their jobs, but they still have to pay the same or pay more. And you look at the thing and you say, hey, this doesn't work. And eventually we're coming to a point where the bulging in the wall, something's got to give. And that's exactly what the prophet Isaiah is saying is going to happen. That there's a bulging in the wall and something's got to give. We look at the world from where we're standing right now. We consider world war. We're one hairbreadth away from it. You have Japan and China right now standing at it, looking at each other in the face like two violent boys in a schoolyard. You have the same thing even worse going on between Ukraine and Russia right now. It's just, it's just waiting for that moment when someone throws a punch and the whole thing erupts. It brings everybody in. You have the same standoff between Israel and its immediate neighbors, both the West Bank, which would be Palestine, and also Hezbollah and Lebanon to the north, and all of their enemies surrounding. They're standing there waiting for someone to do something. You have civil war in Syria and the tension that's spilling over from there into Turkey so that they're facing off like two boys in a schoolyard looking at each other, what they're going to do. You have the United States in Iran and the United States and Russia and Ukraine. You have the whole world aligning into this place, waiting for someone to throw a punch, there's no solution to any of these problems, and it's like a big bulging wall just waiting to go. And what happens when it does? That's what we're on the brink of. When you consider what's going on with the economy, again, it's just waiting to happen, and it's almost like there's something there that's just stopping it from spilling over. What is it? Well, when you read Revelation chapter 6, you read that Jesus has his hand on a seal, it's a sealed scroll. But when he breaks the seal, that's when world war breaks forth. When he breaks the second seal, or the third seal, that's when economic collapse happens. It's defined. You can read it. Revelation chapter 6. When he breaks the fourth seal, a quarter of the population dies as the fallout from everything else is happening. So you say, well, what's stopping it from happening right now? You know what's happening is that God hasn't broken the seal yet. And here's the reason why. Because the Bible says that his church is not appointed unto wrath. And his promise is that he's going to come and take his bride out before he lets those seals break forth. But what are we watching in front of us right now? We're watching the herniated wall come to a point where we say, how much longer can that just hold on? It can't. And so it's a reason I bring this to you tonight. And I say, at some point, he's coming back. At some point, it's just not going to keep going on and on and on like it is. And he's told us the things that we're to watch for and look for in all of this uh, type of thing. One more reason why I share this with you tonight. Here's here's what it is. It's because for you and I, it might be, it could be, a second chance. It could be a second chance. See, if this scenario is actually the way things are going to play out, and and it may or may not. I mean, you ask me, like, when it's just me and you later, do I think that we're going to get raptured between now and Saturday? I always say, I hope so but I'm going to prepare my Good Friday message <laughs> and my Saturday morning discipleship message and I'm going to get firewood ready for next year. I'm going to live like he could come back in 100 years and try to be ready as though he could be here in five minutes. But let's say for a moment that this is, God's saying to us, he's saying, wake up because we're right there on the brink. We're minutes away from his return. Let's say that's true. My first thought then is that that's crazy. This is crazy. Is this cr- Crazy. I mean, 6,000 years of world history, and here, is that even possible? You know, this is what goes through my mind. It's followed by great excitement. <laughs> this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. We're going to put off this flesh. We're going to be in his presence. We're going to see the Lord. We're going to be eternal. We're going to be in glory. I mean, it's, this is what we've been waiting for, for him to, to just end evil and bring us into his presence, the end of all problems, and we're there, you know. But that excitement, for me, thinking about these things, quickly folded into a sobriety. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I I know what the Bible says. So I know what's going to happen once the rapture takes place. I'm fully expecting that I'm going to be a part of that (laughs) event, you know, because of Jesus, not because of me. What's going to happen? We're going to get raptured, and the first thing is going to happen, we're going to be face-to-face with Jesus. We're going to see the one who died for us. We'll see the scars in his hands and his feet. We're going to feel his love in a way that we've never felt his love, even in our best day on earth of being in his presence and feeling his love. We're going to see in his eyes that look of pure and liquid love, the fire of who he is. We're going to experience Jesus. It says we'll know even as we're known. And we're going to have that in that very moment that we see him. But that moment right there is going to be accompanied by what the Bible calls a judgment. Not a judgment for salvation. Are you in or are you out? No, we're in because of what he paid for. Those scars are what paid our price to get in. But Second Corinthians 5, verse 10 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And the second thing that's going to happen after the rapture is that you and I are going to give an account to him of what we did with our lives on earth. Post-salvation. That is from the moment that we got saved until the moment we see his face, what did we do with our life? What did you do with your time? What did you do with your resources? The gifts that I gave you? The opportunities? The people that were in your life? What did you do with it? And we're going to give an account. And the Bible says that our heavenly reward and our capacity to experience eternity and the responsibility that we have and the crown that we wear and everything that we enjoy in heaven is going to be a result of the reward that we receive based upon what we did with what he gave us. That's what the Bible says is going to happen. We're all in, we're all full, we're all happy, our tears are wiped away. But at that point, you cannot change what you've sent ahead by way of investment into heaven. You're done, you're complete. Jesus said that good soil in a heart can bring forth fruit, some 30%, some 60%, some 100%. Well, your percentage, whatever it is, Once you get to heaven, that's what it is. That's what it was. If you were a 30% person, you're going to see Billy Graham. You're going to see Charles Spurgeon. You're going to see Abraham and Noah and Daniel and Paul. And you're going to look at these guys, and they're going to be 95% or 100%. And you're going to go, oh, my goodness. If I could go back and I could surrender more of my life, more of my heart, and give it to God, if when his spirit was pushing against the hardness of something that I didn't want to give up and I resisted him, And I let the soil of my soul just be that hardness. If I had just given it in, if I could just go back and do that again, I would give almost anything to not be a 20-percenter right now. We're going to see souls. We're going to see the people that are saved, but we're also going to be aware of the people that aren't. Oh, my goodness. My neighbor isn't here. I, I know I didn't like him that much, but I know I would like him if he was here if he was experiencing his glory, or my family member, whoever else it was that I didn't share with when I had the opportunity to. And someday they're going to stand perhaps before a different judgment seat. And Jesus is going to look at them and he's going to say, why didn't you receive me? I paid the price for your sins." And they're going to say, I didn't know. And you're going to be there and see that and say, but, oh, you mean that was my, that was, you put them, And you won't be able to change it then, but something inside of you is going to say, if I could go back and do that again, if I could have that conversation, casual conversation that I had on a Saturday afternoon with that neighbor or that coworker or that friend, I would have told them about Jesus. Because the cost of not having done it now, it appears to me, I realize it, it's so great, it's so big, it's so large. We're going to consider the spoils. We'll see the mansions, whatever they are, the crowns, whatever they are, the cities and responsibilities, whatever they are. And we'll be so blessed and satisfied with what he gives to us there. But there will be a part of our heart that says, if I could go back and do it again, I would have done it differently. I would have lived more for the Lord. I would have invested more in eternity. I would have labored in his vineyard. And there will be, rest assured, Some sorrow that takes place at that moment. There will be regret over things that you didn't do and there will be regret over things that you did do. Things that you wished that as a Christian you did not give yourself to or that you had repented of, or that you had allowed the Lord to break free from you and take out of your life, because you, you'll see clearly what it cost you and what it cost the kingdom in that point. And you will say, if I could just have a second chance, I don't want to leave heaven, I'm so, I would never leave this, but if I could do that over again. And you say, okay, well, why are you bringing this up? Why, why are you saying this to us? Here's why. Because at that point, you can't go back. You are what you are. But let's say for a minute, let's say I'm wrong. Let's say that this is a complete waste of time. And that it's just a mere coincidence that, you know, the woman is clothed with the, the, the sun, the moon at her feet, that the blood moons are happening, the wars, the economy, the sin culture, the earthquakes, the falling away, the scoffers, Israel, the globalists, corruption. What if all of that is just a big coincidence And we have 10 or 20 or 50 years before Jesus Christ comes back. What if that's the case? Because that could very well be the case. We could be here. Then what that means is that this for you right now is a second chance. It's a chance for you to realize that, Jesus, if you came right now, I could have done better. I could have given my life to you a little bit more. I could have shared with that person that I was, I just didn't want to be associated with big hair and mascara, you know, the the Christian thing. I just, I was embarrassed. You don't have to... (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the way we feel? But is it worth it? See, this gospel is real. This word is real. This message is real. And he's coming again. And what we do with our lives makes a difference. And so should he tarry? And should, you know, this season, this political situation pass? Should this come? Nothing is of it. It's just a coincidence. You have another chance. Because from right now, you can decide and determine this day that your life belongs to Christ. That your heart is completely His. Not part of it, not some of it, not a fraction or the Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but God, my heart is completely yours. And I want to serve your purposes with my life. And I want to discover what you made me to be, and I want to do it with everything I've got. And I want to make the most of every opportunity to serve you because someday I'm going to see your face, and at that moment, I don't want to live with that regret of knowing that I could be more or could have done more. But because of, for whatever reason, I resisted. I squandered. I wasted my time. Lord, let it not ever be said uh, of me that that's what happens. We close here, and you say, uh, Pastor Nick, I've been to a lot of your studies, and this is okay. But you know, you usually you know center things a lot more on Scripture and not so much on stars. You know, this one felt kind of funny to us. Second Peter chapter one, verses sixteen through nineteen. Peter says this. And I'll close, let you close with this thought. He says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain." And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. In the King James, it says, we have a more sure word of prophecy, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. Listen, we can look at signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. We can get excited and we can see. But at the end of the day, what do those things point to? They point to what he said to us. What did he say? He said, I'm coming. He said, be ready. Let me read to you, final verse, and then we close. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Jesus' words. He said, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men that wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. What I would say to you right now is to be ready for the Lord's return at any moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to look at these things, Lord, that you've spoken in your word so long ago and to again come to a point within our lives Our walk where we would say, Lord, are we at that most important time? And Could it be, Lord, that you're coming so soon, so eminent? And I would pray tonight, Lord, for every one of us here that knows you. Lord, that you would be our God. That you would have every part of our heart. That you would anoint us afresh with your Holy Spirit. That you would bring forth repentance in those areas of our life, Lord, where we've been playing with sin playing with the call of God, playing with eternal fruit and treasure, wasting time, sowing rocks into a garden that's been designed for precious fruit. And so we would ask, Lord, that tonight you pour out your spirit upon us afresh, that you'd fill us with fresh oil, Lord, that our lamps would be burning, that we'd be ready, prepared, and waiting for your soon return. Lord, would you please refresh, renew, and revive us and make us prepared. And Father, we thank you for this reminder, this sobering uh, thing that we consider and realize, Lord, that your coming is so soon. So be with us, Lord. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. One more thing.